HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020. This is the 258th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a chef and restaurateur who's rowing a few boats at once, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be an activist. Yes, fight for what you believe, for your truth, and for the changes you want to see in the world. We all can and should speak up and advocate for causes that resonate with us and use our platforms to bring awareness and attention for what we feel is right. We can be advocates for change and strive to implement new policies and laws for the better good. So let's remember to use our voices to help make a difference and get active. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very thrilled to be joined today by Camilla Marcus. She is the chef and founder of Westbourne, the popular all-day zero-waste restaurant in Soho, Manhattan, that operates with a unique, fully integrated, philanthropic business model. Camilla is a co-founder of Relief Opportunities for All Restaurants, otherwise known as ROAR, an organization working to enact a sustainable future for the restaurant industry in New York. She is also a founding member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, Formerly the Director of Business Development for Union Square Hospitality Group, Camilla has worked in real estate investing, and she trained in both business and law at the Wharton School and NYU, and earned a culinary degree from the International Culinary Center. And without further ado, welcome to the show. Hi, Camilla. 
Hi, thanks so much for joining me. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, 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 I read off a, a, a summary of your bio, um, a short bio, because you've accomplished a lot and your background and everything you've done is really impressive. So um, I always love to start out with my guests and, and find out, you know, how they got into this, the culinary industry and a little bit about your background. I know you grew up in LA. So um, you want to you wanna tell us a little bit about, about what that was like? Yeah. And thank you again for having me. So delighted. Um, yep. So I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, sort of one of the rare second generation locals. My mom's also from Los Angeles, born and raised and found my way you know, to the East Coast. I went to college in Philadelphia and I think since a young age, um, really just had a deep passion for food. I always loved to cook. You know, no one in my family really is into food the way that I am. My mom tells interesting stories about my grandfather, who was actually um, a heart surgeon and heart researcher. Uh, so I like to think I sort of get it from him, but always knew I wanted to go to culinary school. I loved to cook, and I thought, you know, it just would be so amazing to learn learn really how to do it. Um, and really fell in love with restaurants, again, from a very young age, and sort of found my people there. So culinary school is really the first step, and... It just felt so fulfilling. I loved the intensity. I love, you know, it's such an intense operating business and so complicated and intellectually stimulating, but also obviously so creative and artistic. And I love design and taking care of others and sort of putting this whole wild puzzle together to create special experiences for others. Um, I loved in culinary school. I mean, we had people from 25 different countries, all different ages. And it just felt like this really beautiful melting pot. Um, you know, and every day you're really learning something new and, and having to stretch and challenge yourself. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that sense of sort of adventure every day was something that, that really fit. So I sort of navigated the industry from there. I worked at an internship um, before. So at the same time as culinary school, um, at Delanima, um, which is no longer open, but was a very special place, my first restaurant home, um, with Joe Campanale and August Cardona. And really, again, that sort of sparked that, you know, I wasn't sure exactly where I would go in the industry and what part of it I would be. Um, I really had such a deep interest in all of it. Uh, but I knew, I knew it would be the industry I'd want to be in long term and just kind of had to navigate through it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you know this about me, but I lived in Chicago before New York, and I I went to a small cooking school called the Cooking Academy of Chicago, um, and I love the hands-on experience. And I I thought at the time I wanted to be a chef. Um, I wasn't exactly sure, you know, what where I was going to end up, or but um, I love that I you know I obviously now got into restaurant PR and doing other things. But um, I love that I had that experience and there was something about it that was so special when you're describing it that I totally get. Um, so what then, I mean, and Del Anima, I was such a fan um, of that restaurant as well. What, what led you then to um, Union Square Hospitality Group? So I ended up graduating from culinary school and going to NYU to get a JD MBA. Um, you know, it's, it's somewhat parallel to what's happening right now. I mean, after that year was when the financial, the last financial crisis hit and 
you know, it was impossible to get a job. Most of my friends were out of work and, you know, we were pretty fresh out of college with no experience. So not exactly uh, easy to get employment. So I thought um, to some extent hiding out in graduate school um, while things sort of sorted. And during that time, um, worked with Tom Colicchio on developing River Park, which is on the east side in New York, and then ended up moving back to Los Angeles, where I was from for a short period after grad school um, to work for a real estate private equity fund that actually had quite an extensive retail food and beverage and hotel portfolio. Um, so I ended up managing most of their investments um, and acquisitions in that space, obviously given sort of my, my brief operating background um, and then ended up coming back to New York to be head of business development for Danny Meyer and Union Square, uh, Union Square Hospitality Group um, at a really pivotal time. I mean, they had an entirely new C-suite of executives. Shake Shack was in the, pro- in the pro- process of going public. And, um, you know, they had five chef transitions, five openings. I mean, it was really a transformative year. It was uh, their 30th anniversary. So a real transformative pivotal year in the company's history, uh, learned a ton and, you know, then left shortly thereafter um, to start my, my own company. Um, and I think, you know, each experience was vastly different and helped me really learn full scope um, about the industry from so many different angles. I, I always say pretty much the only job I've never had in the restaurant business is a server. I'm very clumsy. I have done catering. <laughs> today and uh my boss at that time can tell you i am great with people i am horrible at carrying multiple things at once um so i think you know for me i really believe in the virtue of a generalist i believe so much in education training and development when it comes to our industry i think so many people of interest in so many different parts of the industry and you know I think the future will be much more cross-training, much more fluidity and sort of less hierarchy. And, you know, I think I sort of crafted my career, I don't think intentionally, but looking back, um, sort of to get as broad of a base of experience as I could. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you first think, or when did Westbourne, the idea of it, the concept, like, when did you first start working on that? And because I have a feeling it was something that you were you were you know um, thinking about uh, for a while before maybe you you officially launched it. And because uh, you have such a unique um, m- not just menu and style, but like your whole philosophy, everything you're doing is is um, unique to it and and amazing. Uh, so when was Westbourne born? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the idea really started, I think the kernel of the idea started when I was working with Danny and the company, you know, just seeing sort of the dynamics of, frankly, society and my generation change, you know, philanthropy is seen so differently. It's not saving up until the end of life to, you know, potentially put your name on a building or these sort of big acts of kindness. I think my generation really wants to live our values every single day. And we believe in, you know, compound impact, I like to say, sort of like compound interest in investing, you know, a little bit every day actually goes more of a long way than these sort of big, um, big splashy investments. And started thinking a lot about that and realizing, you know, our industry is incredibly generous. We donate so much of our time, our goods, our efforts, we care about our communities, and we invest so much in that. But 
it always felt disconnected from guests. You know, myelina raises a tremendous amount for cancer research. And, you know, most people don't know that. And, you know, each of our restaurants had such a big passion. And, you know, I don't think the guests who dined there really realized and were connected to it. So, you know, in parallel, seeing such a big movement in conscious capitalism with the rise of obviously Warby Parker and Tom's, um, you know, and even Everlane to some extent, really this rise of, I care about what I'm doing in my daily life. I care where I spend my money. I vote with my dollars. I live with my values and I want what I do in my daily routine to mean something more. And really realizing that no one in hospitality really put that stake in the ground. There wasn't a mission-driven hospitality company um, out there. And so the more I started to think about it, I had a close relationship with Robin Hood um, through, we used to do, uh, and the company still, Union Square Events, the catering arm of, of the company still does the annual event. And I had worked it a couple of times because I was just fascinated with the ability to serve 4,000 people at once. So I thought, you know, I've got to learn, put me to work. Um, and I really got to know the Robin Hood organization out of that. And I really the first, right when I left USHG, I met with Robin Hood first. And I said, you know, I have this kind of crazy idea. You know, what if a portion of every single purchase, a glass of wine, a party, a catering event, you know, a bag of Chex Mix, um, you know, coffee, my lunch, my dinner. What if a portion of that every single time to be an all day place where someone's going hopefully multiple times a week and it's really integrated in their lives? What if that contributed back to a neighborhood program that then fed back into our business? So I really sort of pitched it to them thinking they would laugh me out of the room. I mean, they're a massive organization. They are you know, such a high impact, high performing, incredible organization. And honestly, I thought I'd be laughed out of the room. And every single one of them, you could see light bulbs go off and they said, you're right. You know, think about how much people spend time and effort and energy in and around restaurants, right? You eat mostly three meals a day and it's the thing you think about most and probably spend most of your income on. And what if a small portion of that could do good in our neighborhood and take care of our, our neighbors? So 1% of every purchase at Westmore goes through the Robin Hood Foundation to a local organization called The Door. Um, and we invest in hospitality retraining for youth in the neighborhood, and then we hire from that program. And so, you know, again, that idea was really, you know, a lot of these conscious capital brands that are tremendous, most give money abroad. And I felt very strongly that, you know, anyone who lives in New York, and frankly, any neighborhood across the country, we all have help that's desperately needed in our own backyards. And so it was also critically important that it was locally integrated and you know, with our neighbors. Yeah, it's it's really wonderful that that you set that up. And having been to Westbourne a few times, I mean, it's such a welcoming, beautiful space. And uh, I guess uh, we should talk a little bit about about the food and the menu and what what you do um, for people who don't know. I I believe you've you've said in the past that it's um, accidentally vegetarian as part of your, your, um, your, uh, description, but, um, it's, uh, the food is, I find it to be, it's, it's delicious, but I also feel really good eating it. Like it's healthy. It's like, there's a wellness component, at least that's my, what my experience has been. 
Yeah. So we, you know, it's always our goal to be the first zero waste restaurant in Manhattan, which, you know, the irony being we received our certification, I think the week of the shutdown, uh, very bittersweet. Um, but our food philosophy really stemmed from that. Again, you know, if, if the goal is to eat, eat and drink well, but do even better, then obviously our food philosophy has to go along with that. So we always said accidentally vegetarian and decidedly wholesome because the goal is not to be preachy, but, you know, all whole ingredients, well-sourced, um, you know, creativity and innovative uh, on the culinary side, but also, you know, thinking about our carbon footprint and how, you know, how we eat obviously contributes to global warming and the environment that we're going to pass down to the next generation. So our goal is really just to be a place where we love to hang, you know, it's delicious, as you said, nourishing um, and exciting, but also, you know, is mindful of how it's sourced, how it gets on your plate, and, you know, the experience being as low impact to the environment as possible. Yeah, I, um, I, I miss your food. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I want to dive into a bit of what's happening with um, the changes uh, now with 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 COVID. Um, but before that, you, there's another. You also have been working with um, to change childcare in the hospitality industry. Um, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a through line here, which is um, I I guess I'm an inherent problem solver, and I just feel <laughs> I, I yeah my my big. I always say I'm a forever optimist, and I think it's the optimism in me that feels that things can be better and that there's always something that can be done to improve, um, you know, improve our industry, improve our communities. So um, our partnership with Vivi, again, went live, you know, just once before the pandemic hit. And it really came out of right when we opened, a couple months in, we started realizing that your childcare was a huge barrier to retaining a number of really high-performing, high-potential employees that we'd invested a lot in, and we just couldn't solve the problem on our own. I mean, we tried modified schedules temporarily, but, you know, at the end of the day, restaurants do not have the space or the wherewithal or the bandwidth, um, you know, to really be able to do on-site childcare, you know, running our four walls is hard enough as it is, as we're seeing particularly now. And Childcare obviously is a highly regulated industry as it should be. So, you know, we started doing a lot of deep research on what's possible with, you know, thinking of so interesting because healthcare and career development has been a big focus of the last 10 years as far as, you know, workplace, um, you know, wellness and security and how you take care of your teams. And yet, still, the childcare really uh, hasn't been at the forefront when really it's the gating issue, right? If you can't get to work, you can't keep your job, and therefore all of the other perks or benefits, frankly, are irrelevant. So it actually is interesting because it's the most important issue is how do you keep, you know, how do you keep parents able to do both? Because the choice of showing up to work or going to work and not being able to care or, you know, watch your child, there is no choice, right? That's a total impossibility. Um, and... When you look, you know, so many people talk about the why. Um, one, it's the right thing to do. But two, hiring, you know, hiring, training, onboarding new people is incredibly expensive. Multitudes more expensive than investing in great, amazing, high potential people that are already part of your team. And I think childcare is a big element of that. 
So we ended up scouring really the, the landscape all across New York and lo and behold, no one offers anything that accommodates, you know, the unusual schedules of restaurant workers. And what we also uncovered was actually hospitals have a very similar dynamic. You know, they have shifts and they're not nine to five jobs and they work weekends just as we do and they work holidays and traditional childcare offerings in and around the city. One, most are cost prohibitive, especially in the city where people are coming in for their jobs. And two, um, you know, they're, the ones that are affordable are far um, and don't offer extended hours. So, um, you know, we spoke to the Bright Horizons uh, of the world and that company specifically as well, who sort of said, you know, they're a very large corporation. They're making a ton of money and they don't see a reason to change the model, even though they're ignoring essentially millions across the country. Um, who really desperately need this kind of assistance. So I ended up through Tina Cowan actually meeting someone at the city who said, oh, you know, we've been in touch with this startup that hasn't yet launched. Um, it's called Vivi Early Learning, and they're essentially trying to transform childcare for my generation, for a new generation through a more employer-sponsored um, program. So similar to the way health insurance works in, in this country, you get it through your job but with a much more, you know, developmental focus on, it's not just putting kids in a room and you know, keeping them safe. It's also about nurturing them and helping them grow and being sort of active learning focused. So I ended up meeting with him and lo and behold, I found out in the meeting, his business partner is a friend of mine from college, uh, Ben Newton. And, you know, Ben has dedicated his career to childhood development and you know, worked for Teach for America. And, we just both kind of laughed like what kismet um, and, and serendipity to have found each other sort of in this in this way. Uh, and, you know, we all agreed that it just seemed really wrong and sort of crazy that this entire segment of our population that dominate employment, I mean, healthcare and restaurants are the two top employers across the country, you know, by a huge landslide. And you know, for those to be essentially systematically boxed out of traditional childcare in major cities, most particularly, you know, that is not okay. And we have to change that. And so we decided to partner up and work on a program that essentially would accommodate um, what hospitality, you know, employees and our teams need. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I know as things reopen, um, you know, Vivi will too, and they've, they've been an incredible partner. And you know, our goal is to hopefully roll out that program across the country. I think there's a, a massive drastic need for it. And I think especially in this pandemic, we're feeling that and seeing that more starkly than ever. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's wonderful really that you've, you've, uh, you not only saw that, but you, you, you took action and I love the small world connections for sure. Um, that's always, you know, a, a silver lining and things when you reconnect with people and make things happen. So, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I give you a lot of credit for, for making that happen in the industry and, and spearheading it. Um, what is, uh, so what's happening now? I mean, with COVID and how, how, I mean, you, you're, when, when the pandemic initially hit, I mean, what, how did your team and restaurant react? Um, you closed your doors, you, you know, what's, ha what's transpired over the past couple of months? 
Yeah, so March 15th, we closed our doors along with pretty much the rest of the country. And, um, you know, our industry has been particularly devastated, right? I mean, it's actually illegal to work from home. You're not allowed to sell uh, commercial food to the public from a residence. And, you know, it means with that millions of people across the country. We employ 11 million people nationwide. We employ almost a million in New York alone. Um, and it really all came to a screeching halt. And, you know, to date, unlike other industries, we are the only that has not received a single relief package for our industry specifically at any level of government. And we're four months in. Of the unemployment numbers, one in four people unemployed right now comes from the restaurant business. Um, if those aren't signs that we need help, I don't know what it is. And, you know, you're seeing massive closures. I think there's going to be another huge wave come the fall as, you know, some people's PPP funds burn out. And, you know, it's it's a very dark time. And it is, I think, a huge reckoning for this country to realize, you know, what an important role we play in our country, economically, socially, culturally. Um, you know, I do think we are the heart of, of this nation in so many ways. And we're pushing very, very hard to get the relief that we need at, at all levels of government. Yeah, um, I mean, you've your efforts with with IRC and Roar. We'll dive. I want to dive into more into that. Well, maybe we'll hold that a bit for the industry news. But um, it's uh, you know, it's it, it's our industry our industry is in trouble and I know you've been fighting for it. Um, your, I saw on, on your website, I think you're doing a Westbourne annex now. Yeah. So we, um, we remained closed for quite a while. The first, um, eight to 10 weeks, we actually did a work from home program with our team for the first six weeks. So we did remote trainings and classes sort of turned into a remote school, which was pretty amazing. Um, but unfortunately, as you know, the pandemics continued, um, as you know, indoor dining was canceled in New York. Um, our, our space, unfortunately, also drew the short stick. You know, we don't have a lot of frontage, which means we don't have um, a lot of space for outdoor dining. We don't have a garden. Our sidewalk is too small. There is actually construction going on this whole month on our street for a water main break. Um, you know, and our space is very small. It's only a thousand square feet. So in a lot of ways, we just are, you know, physically due to no funds of our own, uh, pretty poorly positioned for being able to resume regular operations, um, you know, in a, in a pandemic uh, world. So currently we've pivoted to an annex concept. So our goal is uh, a couple fold. One is bringing sort of the pantry from our home to yours. So we have an amazing spice kit where you can recreate a lot of our, our house specialties and dishes. We've got a lot of sauces and condiments and preserves, um, some snacks. We have an amazing popcorn duo that we're making in-house. Uh, we've got our Tagarashi Chex Mix and granola that people love. And then we are also helping curate in partnership with Natura, um, essentially bringing the green market to your home. So you can pre-order we pre-selected um, sort of the best of the best of peak season. You know, in our immediate neighborhood, there actually isn't a green market. The means for a green market is quite a walk if you're, you know, at home by yourself. And right now they have obviously really long lines because they live in the capacity. So this is a way to bring our farmers um, and all the amazing, amazing produce that they've worked really hard on 
uh, to your home. And alongside that, we've got all of our natural California wines uh, from Martha Stuman to Scribe to Incano and everything in between. We're doing um, really fun, happy hour type, uh, you know, bottle bundles. We've got any sort of a wine shop that you can curate yourself. Um, and and then we're also selling all of our our things from our local brewery partners. So you know, the goal is really to bring the spirit of Westbourne, connect you to our partners and suppliers and makers, um, and really bring the experience to your home. Yeah, no, I think it's great you're doing that because um, I you do have I mean your provisions like what you offer is 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 awesome 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 selection. Um, have you been able to keep uh, your staff or you, I mean, where, where, where are you at with that? Unfortunately, we are down to management only as you know, so many are unfortunately, first and foremost, like I said, our space is just not conducive to coming back to operations safely just yet. Um, yeah. It's, it's a big concern for us. You know, like I said, we're a very small space, um, very cramped quarters and the shape of it also doesn't help. So, um, you know, that's, that's the most brutal part of this. You know, we all, we're family, right? I mean, we, we call it family meal. We are a family and it is brutally painful, um, you know, for so many of us in this industry to have to be, um, you know, down and not with our teams the way that we want to be. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, but you're making, you're making something work now and I know you're, you're, you know, my tip was inspired by you as being, you know, being an activist. So um, we'll take, let's take a little break and we'll come back. Um, we'll play my speed round and then we'll talk some industry news and about all the activism you've been doing. Um, and then we'll also have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Camilla Marcus. She's the founder of Westbourne. She's also a founding member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition and a co-founder of Roar, a coalition of New York City-based restaurant tours. Um, it is time. I feel like someone's excited there. It's time for my speed round. They must know. <laughs> um, so what this is is I'm gonna I'm gonna name you know. a couple things. Uh, you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. So I give you choices. All right. Okay. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Both. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Ooh, 
that's so hard because that really just depends on depends on the mood. I'm definitely more wine and cocktail, uh, but I'm also very into the zero proof movement as you know as things change. Um, Gia is a new one. I'm gonna give a small plug. They did a spritz window out of our Westbourne window when we were closed this past month. Um, amazing, powerful, uh, and inspiring female founder Melanie Master. So check out Gia. Cool. We'll do. How about tasting menu or a la carte? I think at the right kind of restaurant, certainly, you know, you always go omakase if they're offering it. Um, and even a la carte, honestly, my greater preference would be to just say to the chef, look, cook whatever you want uh, and pick from from the menu. I, I always love an adventure and I much prefer being in it. Okay. Um, small plates or large plates? I like family style, which I guess you could make out of both. There's, you know, I think trying the most on a menu, my, my team always laughs. If we eat out, we usually try and get one of everything. I'm, I'm definitely a try it all um, and share it all kind of person. Yeah, that's my, the problem I have when I do solo dining is when I want one of everything. <laughs> um, better to eat out with a team for those purposes for sure. Um, okay, communal table or chef's counter? Ooh, these are hard because I really like both. <laughs> I didn't. Well, yeah, there's no right or wrong, but um, you know, yeah, I, I'm definitely communal table if we're with a group. But if it's just me and my husband, we we love a good chef's counter. I mean, I I would eat in the kitchen while helping cook on the line if I could. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I hear you. Okay, um, tipping or all inclusive charge. Oh, that's a that's a, a very loaded one. Um, I'm gonna say it's not that simple. Fair, fair. Um, okay, I have a few more. Um, I will say it's not that simple, but we do have a huge opportunity in this country to really change the perception of the value of a meal and an experience. What goes into it, what it costs, what it means to do it right and mindfully, and really thinking through the compensation structure to be much more equitable. Um, and part of that is guest education and changing the culture around that. Like I said, I mean, you know, even at Westbourne, if you look at our Yelp page, uh, you know, some of the biggest comments are, well, you know, it's too expensive. Well, you know, we, we source independently from farms, right? And we take care of our people and that just isn't going to result in a $4 put long sub. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that this, 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 um, question in my game has always been, it's a standard one I give and it's, it's always gets people, um, a bit stuck and a bit like, uh, it's hard. It's a hard one to answer. Um, well, can I think search, you know, you've seen, I'm from California. You see that the healthcare surcharge has been taken so positively, you know, there are, People and companies outside of the industry that work with carbon credits and things like that. So I do think, you know, again, I, I think the answer is loaded and it's not that simple because the truth is, you know, our public, our people, our country need to be comfortable paying the right value for something, you know, and it's not, it's not about the cheapest. It should be about value and it should be, you know, including, you know, full compensation. And I just, it's 
it takes a big shift, I think, like I said, in sort of consumer education, consumer leadership. Right. Okay. We'll do a few more. How about cooking on Instagram Live or having a conversation and interview also in Instagram Live? Because I've seen you do both and you're, you're, I think you're excellent at both of them. <laughs> you're very kind. I actually find all really nerve wracking. So I'm usually sweating big time underneath it all. Most people don't believe me, but you know, ask, ask my husband. Um, I mean, I like the cooking because I feel like usually there's a conversation within it. So we get to sort of have both. Um, but it depends, you know, for the place and time. I think that, uh, you know, there's nothing more intimate than cooking with someone. And I think it opens up a lot more, you know, vulnerability and engagement that's maybe different than when you're just having a chat. So, you know, I think people put their guard down when they're cooking something. So I think it leads to, to good candor. Yeah. Um, I've done some Instagram live interviews too, and I know it's 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 it, it's a it's a challenging platform um, for sure. So just with the quirkiness of it, but um, I haven't cooked on camera. I think that I think I give you a lot of credit for doing that. I think it's hard <laughs> to multitask in that way. Um, okay, how about uh, hosting conferences on tech or hosting dinners and catered events? Oh, gosh. Well, that's loaded because obviously I love tech table <laughs> once a year. So um, probably the latter hosting events more because they're more frequent, uh, not because they're any less fun. I, I just if I could have a dinner party or a gathering or a conference every day, I definitely would. I am a total extrovert and I I love the magic of randomness that those gatherings bring. Yeah. Are you... Um... Are you guys thinking about Tech Table for this year? Or do you have a plan for it or an art online? We are. Okay. We are. We are cooking something up. Cool. Well, I look forward to hearing about it, and I had a feeling you may that may be the answer. <laughs> Been an amazing supporter from day one. We are trust me, so grateful. I I remember the first one, and I remember you there. Oh, thanks. Well, it's, it's really, it's a wonderful, wonderful conference that you put together. So I look forward to seeing um, how you, how you pivot with it now. Um, it's been, you know, watching, watching what other people are doing with, with different uh, conferences and uh, uh, festivals, you know, it's, it's been challenging. So, so we'll stay tuned for that. Okay. My, my last two are cheese plate or dessert. Oh, dessert. All the way. All the way. And Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Los Angeles? I was actually going to say my secret talent is a pastry, is pastry, and I have such an admiration for pastry cooks. And I know that it's been, um, in particular, hard for that community so much. So shout out to all those pastry chefs. It is, it is hard work, often the unsung hero of, heroes of kitchens, so I never miss dessert. Okay. I, I, I love it. <laughs> um my last one is um manhattan brooklyn or uh los angeles oh gosh i mean la will always be home that's my heart uh but you know i i love to travel so there's many places and cities around the world uh that speak to me but you know everything even about westport is so much about los angeles um, so if I had to rank, I got to choose it. Okay. 
I know that that I figured that would be a hard one to answer <laughs> too, but <laughs> um, it's just a game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for industry news, I figured we could dive in more um, to what you what you've been working on uh, on behalf of the whole hospitality restaurant industry, which is you know I've been I've been following along and it's it's tremendous. I mean you're. You're um, not only a, a founder of Roar for for New York's New York restaurants, but you've been very involved in the IRC, the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about how that how they came about and like what's progressed over the past, uh, uh, you know, through this through this time period yeah, <laughs> of I mean, uncertainty. I think, I think yeah. this is the first time that you know all restaurateurs and chefs across the country have really become so hands-on and politically active. And I think first and foremost, we have the time and we're home, you know, not in service, which makes it very hard. But two, you know, like I said, we've been hit so tremendously hard and so devastated and looks like we will be, you know, the hardest and longest hit through this. Um, And, you know, it's really high time. I think that the pandemic really just triggered what was already brewing, which is, you know, we need to restructure as an industry. We need government assistance at all levels to do that. And, you know, we're we're not okay being ignored anymore. You know, we keep, I think now what has changed is um, we're here to stay. And I think that now Washington and state and city governments see us for what we are, which is the largest employer across the country. And, you know, having such a massive supply chain on top of that and businesses that reinvest, you know, over 90% of profits and sales go back into our communities, into other businesses and into our teams. Um, and you've never really been, you know, considered as such, unfortunately. And I think what we're seeing over these last three months of us being pretty much ignored while we're being so heavily devastated, you know, just has got to stop. And you know, hopefully we'll change that that tide and that relationship going forward in a big structural way. So, you know, I encourage everyone to go to www.saferestaurants.com. We have the Restaurants Act. I know it seems frustrating when people say, call and email your representatives, but it really is that simple and it is really that critical. Um, the 11 million people in our industry depend on that. So we have an automated emailer. It literally takes two seconds. If you and 10 friends and they got 10 friends and you committed to doing it every single day for the next few weeks, you would see a change. Um, it is high time that we received, like I said, industry-specific aid, um, given just how disproportionately we've been affected by this. Yeah, well, you you sort of answered uh, the question I have for my last guest, which I have for you. Um, on episode 257, I had on Digby Stritteron. He is the chef at Brada, Ama, and Breakers Roar in St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands. And he wanted to know, in respect to everything that's going on right now, what is the best way for me to go to my congressman or woman and ask for change? What is the best route? Is it sending a letter or making a call and following up? And he said he'd greatly appreciate any advice. If you go to the if you go to the IRC website, again, www.saferestaurants.com, um, it's so simple. We've made it an automated email. You 
literally just put your name and your zip code in. It takes two seconds. Like I said, if every person did that um, across the country for just the next couple weeks, every single day for two minutes of your day, you would see a change. Uh, we're asking for 120 billion for our industry. Um, you know, we are. Uh, I understand individually we are small businesses, but collectively we are not a small business. And it's yeah, time no, it's 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 great. I feel business. you guys. I mean, there's been you know, with PPP and uh, I feel there's, there's been progress, you know, and I, and having a seat at the, the, the white house. Um, I don't, I mean, but I know, I know there's so much more that, that, that needs to be done to help save restaurants. And, um, uh, yeah, I think I just, I, I, I give, I, I love how the community of our industry came together and is fighting together, um, for, to, to help, everyone because we are all in this and um uh i i you know i i just want to say thank you for that and to to, to and anyone listening to the show like yes like do what you can reach out to your congressman and um and help us <laughs> help us get through this if ever you know I keep reminding people that, you know, it's hard. We're, we're used to performing. We're used to making you forget your problems. We're used to taking care of you and making you feel that the world is all right. It's very not in our nature to ask for help and to show the cracks. But uh, that is that, this is that time. And if not now, when? Um, this is the time, you know, to give back to your favorite restaurant who, you know, took care of you on a bad day, who made your anniversary special, who helped you celebrate your birthday. This is the time, two minutes a day. Um, I think it's, you know, we're the first to help as well. You know, we were the first industry next to frontline workers. You know, we fed frontline workers. We've been helping relief efforts. We've been the first to jump to and the first, you know, the first that people turn to for help, security, food and assistance yes um, well, and now we're asking for help yeah let's let's get through this um so it's time for my solo dining experience and this is not a typical one but then again it's not a very typical time so um it was very memorable so this is why i'm sharing it um so this week it's at pico oysters here's the rundown the location 900 first street New Suffolk, North Fork, Long Island, New York. The concept, turning water into brine. The, the owner, farmer and avid fisherman, Peter Stein, who founded Pico Oysters in 2016, farmed in Little Peconic Bay. Picos are the only oysters based out of the area. So why did I go? Well, I was out in North Fork for a couple of days and I picked up on this place on, on social media. I, I saw on Tom Calicchio's Instagram feed that he posted about it. And so I was like, hmm, let me check this out. So my experience, well, I went um, I went on my, my last day when um, out in North Fork when I was gonna be heading back to Manhattan. And I didn't think they, they shucked the oysters there. I think it was a place you just took them um, and you had to shuck them yourself. But I was up for it and I stopped by and uh, it was raining out. It was, you know, there was a storm coming. I was trying to get out of Northwork before the storm. But um, I pulled up, there's an open garage. It was a super nice worker in there. And um, I told him I wanted to get an oyster 
a dozen oysters to go and was going to, you know, shuck them when I got back home. And he was concerned about packing them in ice and the ice melting and, and ruining the oysters. So I went with the plan B, which was I got a half dozen and I got a shucking knife and, um, I, I, I took them then to the beach nearby and I literally shucked these oysters in my car by the beach because it was raining and he gave me a little towel too because I knew I needed a towel and I'm not, I don't shuck that much, but I knew I, I you know, it was up for the challenge. So anyways, I, I had this awesome car picnic um, and he gave me an extra, you know, oyster. So I had seven oysters. I got them all opened. I slurped them down. No lemon, no, 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 nothing. But um, they were so fresh and delicious. It was one of my my favorite experiences. Um, and and I kept the shells too. When I got home, I washed them. Figure out, I don't know what I'm gonna do with them, but I have them. Uh, so my take is, um, this place is awesome. The delicious oysters. Uh, they they they're called picos, um, and they were so fresh. There was no smell. There was you know they were just they were delicious. Um, so I highly recommend. Uh, the ambiance, it was my rental car in a parking lot by the beach in North Fork. Uh, perfect for oyster lovers. Interesting tidbit, Pico Oysters supplies oysters to a lot of top New York City restaurants, including Le Bernardin, Gramercy Tavern, 11, 11 Madison Park, and Kraft. Um, and I also saw on social media after just a few days ago that Tom Colicchio did a virtual oyster event with them um, as well. So uh, personal fun fact. Actually, the last time I shucked oysters was on Fire Island a couple years ago when I was out there in a house share and I, I had volunteered to do it. Um, I was out there with my my friend Marissa Lippert, who was on episode 256, and she was doing most of the cooking. And I was glad I could contribute to to shucking oysters, even though I have to say I would not hire me to to do this. I'm, I'm I can get them open, but I wouldn't say it's that gracefully. Um the cost was $20. It was $5 for the oysters and $15 for the shucking knife. Um, really good deal on those oysters. And uh, would I go back? Of course, their website is picooysters.com. That's P-E-E-K-O oysters.com. Um, so so there you go, Camilla. Have you, ha- have you heard of this place? I have heard of it. I haven't been yet. And I did watch Tom's uh, episode or it- event with them um it was amazing i mean never met an oyster i didn't want it kind of reminds me the way you described that the marshall store is an amazing place outside of san francisco and i had a very similar experience so i was laughing listening to you thinking man that was deja vu on the other coast yeah yeah i mean it's 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 actually it's like a like a garage or it's their farm but there isn't there's no there's no glam there this is just they're this serious oyster piece <laughs> um it was awesome i i would do it again uh so and now i have my i had a knife at home but now i have a second one so i'm i'm ready to i'm ready to shuck <laughs> Okay, so it's time for the final question. Uh, my next guest is Gary Obligation. I always, I'm never sure if that's the correct way to pronounce his last name. He's before told me to call him Gary O. I'll get it next week, right? So sorry, Gary. Um, but Gary is the general manager at Post Ranch in in Big Sur, California, and he's formerly the director of service operations at the Alinea Group. Uh, so Camilla, what would you like to ask Gary? 
Uh, well, first off, I want to say hi, Gary. I adore Gary. I met him actually while he was working at the Alinea Group and made for truly one of the most spectacular dining experiences, um, a magical evening in Chicago uh, that I will never soon forget. And I just adore him. And I actually just recently saw that he went over to Post Ranch Inn, which also holds a lot of really special memories and is just a place from a fairy tale book. Um, I want him to share a little bit with, you know, those who may not be familiar and talk a little bit more about um, what they did when the pandemic hit, because I believe I read somewhere that they had a number of guests that were essentially, I mean, I hate to say stuck at Post Ranch Inn because that just doesn't seem like the right word to be stuck in heaven. Um, but they were there for quite some time um, at the lockdown. And I, I heard some amazing, you know, what we used to call hospitality hero moments, um, no doubt imagined by Gary, who is just one in a million. So I want him to tell the audience about those, you know, it's always silver linings uh, if, as long as we're open and have our eyes open for them. Awesome. Yeah, he's, he's good people. I'm really excited to talk with him. Um, I, I, I definitely will. I definitely will. Um, and I've never been to Post Ranch Inn, but it looks so gorgeous. I'm like, what a great place to, to work. And I hope to get out there one day. Yeah, we had a so. to get married right by there a number of years ago. And I, I said, we are driving and we are staying just one night just to enjoy the magic. It is just there it's such a perfect fit too because Gary's really just such a special soul as such a creative and you know no so over the top and he just goes that extra mile and beyond um just the kind of heartfelt and extraordinary hospitality that you would expect there and I know he's going to take them to you know new soaring heights that's very special yeah well great question. I will ask and send him your regards for sure. And uh, that's the show. I um, I so appreciate you taking the time to come on my show and talk with me. And and I, I just want to congratulate you for all your efforts and everything you're doing um, on behalf of the hospitality industry. I've been following along. I've watched many interviews with you. I've read articles. I know you, you've written for Food and Wine. I mean, you're so active and you're such an amazing voice for our industry. And I, I wish you the best. And with Westbourne, um, just um, all the best to you. And, and thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sherry, for having me. This was really a true pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome. So my guest today has been Camilla Marcus. She's the founder of Westbourne Cafe in Manhattan, Soho. She's also the founding member, a founding member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition and a co-founder of Roar. Her website's westbourne.com and that's W-E-S-T-B-O-U-R-N-E.com saverestaurants.com and roarnewyork.org. Uh, you can follow social media, save, uh, hashtag save restaurants at hashtag uh, too small to fail and some handles also to follow. You got at camilla.marcus, at westbourne, at roar.ny, at indp restaurants and at tech table summit. I got them all there. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at all the 
all industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also in iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Camilla. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another show. I hope you'll tune in then. Be safe, be well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.